Alright, good morning. It's Wednesday. It's been a little bit of time since my last uh, podcast here, so thank you for your patience. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, I did get one hijunka um, <laughs> as the secret word of the day from last week, so that podcast had three plays, so um, still waiting for the code word to be shared uh, if you have a way to contact me uh, I'm going to put my email uh, an email that you can contact me at in the uh, in the notes for this podcast just to see if anyone out there is listening that maybe doesn't already have my contact information um, so I'm going to just try to see who's listening uh, all Hopefully, actually three people, but uh, if you like to listen, if the podcast is so nice that you need to listen to it twice, then uh, hey, more power to you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, been out a few days, uh, won't go into that, but as I've uh, caught up on emails a little bit this morning before coming into work, um, I noticed that there's kind of a spike in demand that's going to cause production to need to set a record <laughs> and uh, I was just thinking of the visibility to that like pipeline I mean a month ago at this time we were talking about how it was going to be the opposite and in less than a month it's completely changed course and so um, we're a really flexible manufacturing uh, team uh, so once it hits you know the uh, really the material availability uh, check, you know, clear to build, as I like to call it, Um, uh, we're generally pretty good about utilizing plan for every part and being able to build things as they clear uh, to manufacturing. Um, So... Well, that's typically not a challenge. Um, what we tend to end up seeing is either unresolved inefficiencies in production, waste, um, or uh, a lagginess in the response to people needs. And so people needs, as they come up, you know, there's a correlation between output demand and people needs. And, uh, well, I think that eliminating waste will make us less sensitive to changes in demand. Um, there are times where the demand changes are high or low enough to where people are either needed and needed fast or were heavy projected to be heavy and need to let some go. Um, I mean, it's part of having a contingent workforce, um, you know, and, and that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, to go on a tangent, which I will, uh, Tesla is coming to town. Uh, they are going to be probably 15, 20 miles south of our factory, um, and uh, their entry uh, level salary 
quote unquote, uh, this will be hourly pay, will be significantly less than what we offer. So I'm not too worried about us losing people to Tesla, uh, but we may have to kind of up the the uh, the wage or, or something if we want to keep uh, people from leaving us for Tesla. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. They, we got a year or so before they really get going on that. But um, so in order to deal with with fluctuations in demand, which then cause fluctuations in people needs. Uh, the thinking I had was, is there a way to really define a model that you know looks at just what our expected output is as that compares to the, the headcount need and tries to take that as far back in the sales cycle as possible, I guess as early on in the sales cycle as possible. So. If we have a 90-day sales cycle, um, what are some of those leading indicators that we could start plugging in to look out to the, you know 90 days, 120 days from now to say, hey, um, this is where the factory is going to need to be. So if we need to on onboard people, we could ramp them up and get make them up to speed um, rather than having to react real quickly and be like, oh shoot, we got to bring in 30 people this week. Um, just some sort of methodology to try to address that in order to uh, not uh, get in trouble when you know business starts to do really really well <laughs> and then at the same time if we see a dip in demand that's short term uh, then we could approach it as hey well this is a short term you know dip um, know let's not uh, reduce the, the contingent workforce while we're going through this dip let's ride it out let's get training done and do something but I have a feeling that that there's data that we could capture from the, the inputs to the sales cycle even if they're speculative and start to put a funnel together just from a, a sheer standpoint of hey, here's what's in talks. And I know we have a, a meeting where we do that, but maybe even go further back. Um, how those talks, how those figures, how those that thinking uh, reflects in uh, resource needs for the operations team. So um, I just feel like that is a very necessary thing to be looking at. And... Uh, I think we're hurting ourselves a little bit by not having a robust process. But then say, hey, let's do a process behavior chart on these uh, resource needs, you know, uh, and if we're, you know, uh, going to be a rolling average that puts us, you know, plus or minus 5%, then that's kind of the, the, the time to act. If it's just like a temporary, hey, this week we're we're a little light, um, but next week we'll be heavy and then we'll be, you know, mellowed out, then maybe there's a, a way for us to to look at that a little bit different uh, and uh, be smart about it. It's just kind of, you know, is there a way that we can be smart about it uh, instead of being very reactive? Make it so that the burden on onboarding people 
is minimized. Um, as you take a system and your system is chugging along and it's you know it starts to become optimized with people, you know, um, and, and functions and roles, and then your system needs to have you know more resources to function correctly, and you lose efficiency anytime you're training somebody. But you know then you, you bring on more people, so your people that are trainers and maybe. Um, you know, are needed because of the, the demand fluctuation. Your trainers are now uh, not full-time contributors to the operation, um, which is understandable and, and needs to be planned for, and I don't think we, we cover that well enough. So um, and we're working on it, having dedicated trainers that uh, are, are only treated as a partial contributor to... to to value creation, meaning uh, they're not part of the uh, direct labor headcount as a full resource. You know, you only count them as partial uh, direct labor, um, or you know, 50% of their role is direct, 50% is indirect, something to that effect. Um, Scott did this well with his production planning tool in Ventura, where he would treat uh, like leads or people with the role of adjuster um, as partial resources because the work they were doing um, was necessary from an admin standpoint, but not necessarily value added. Um, you know, maintaining a schedule, um, reprioritizing, and all that stuff is necessary, but. Customers necessarily paying us to uh, rearrange how we do our work every day. You know, that's not really a value-added step. <laughs> Schedule it one time and be done with it. Um, anyway, I digress. So <clears throat> that's what I'm trying to, to think of. Uh, I know I typically tend to uh, come up with ideas of things to do at a much greater rate than actually doing them. So. This is one that as I kind of start attending some more uh, meetings that talk about the, the inputs to the business cycle um, that uh, I feel like I'll be able to understand a little bit more uh, and be able to comment on uh, and give some ideas to uh, how we, we make this happen. Uh, but as it stands, really, just started attending you know, the meeting that provides that that series of inputs um, to operations on what's coming in the pipeline. So we'll see how that kind of works out, and if there's anything there, or if you know, given our business and our mode of operation and, and how the world works these days, uh, we already have all the inputs that are feasible and. and uh, Thus, we just need to become better at reacting. Uh, I guess from a plan from every part standpoint, um, and, and trying to apply that concept, you know, plan for every value stream, plan for every person. Um, you know, if you know a top operator at a at a station or work center is out, um, you know, what do we do? 
see these gaps in our skills matrix, who's the who's the person that steps up and you know we need to start training. I guess it's kind of that that kind of stuff from a, a reactiveness. What are the workstations we put brand new people on? What are the workstations that are easiest to train to? Um, all kinds of things like that, which I don't think we uh, have spent a lot of time thinking about. We're trying to go through a TWI exercise. To actually use uh, the TWI Institute or whatever the, the group is, uh, have them put about 20 people, you know, from the factory through that training, um, and then three people through train the trainer training, and really drive that as how we do things. Now, I'm not expecting us to get all of our all of our operation, you know, up to speed on the, the proper TWI sets of things. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on all the TWI terminology. Um, your, your job uh, worksheet that tells you um, the key step reason why, importance, um, I know that's not how they say it in TWI, but my mind just went completely blank, um, yeah, it's been somewhere else the last few days, so, um, if you're familiar with TWI, um, you know, there's a reason why you do it, the way you spell out the steps, and so on, if you're not familiar with TWI, uh, check it out, training within industry, it's a way to, sufficiently but concisely communicate the steps required to complete work um, and rather than try to give you a whole big old handbook on how to do work it says hey um, use this drill um, to make a hole uh, we use this drill because it's safe and it's accurate and uh, this hole is important because it's where you know fuel flows through or something like that I'm really butchering it um, kind of put myself on the spot here um, but uh, through TWI uh, you're able to ramp up uh, training and get people up to speed on the job they're doing and really get them to have like an understanding of the job at a much quicker rate than if you just try to uh, just tell them everything. Um, so TWI became popular during World War II when um, required to, to fill the, the factory where all the, uh, the females in, in the United States that were um, had typically, you know, uh, tradition was, you know, work from home uh, or be, you know, homemakers. And as that shifted, uh, that population from homemakers to factory workers, there needed to be a way to um, efficiently get them up to speed on the job they were doing. And TWI was the methodology that was widely deployed um, to get people up to speed. So uh, that's that's why we want to do it. One, uh, two, I think it takes standard work to a much. Uh, greater level than how we're currently deploying it and makes the importance of good standard work even greater um, and it'll give us a way to revise our standard work um, 
I think the job sheet from, from TWI is a much better deployment of standard work than what we currently do. Um, and so that's how we would end up becoming more reactive um, to changes in uh, people needs. Anyway, I'm parking back into my favorite spot. I'll work on my experiment there another day. Um, I see people kind of wandering around, so I'm wondering if that means we got people starting today. Um, we'll see. Anyway, thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.